Have you ever met someone and thought, man, they're not as bad as I expected them to be? Maybe it's that relative that you've already heard who's going to bring their new girlfriend or or boyfriend to Christmas dinner tonight. And you've already heard stories from mama and them about how horrible of a person this is that is going to be at Christmas dinner tonight. And you already have preconceived ideas in your mind what it's going to be like to be around this person. And you will hang out with them and find out, man, they're, they're kind of pleasant. The stories aren't exactly true. I kind of liked being around them. It all depends on who tells the story. Well, when we come to the Virgin of Mary in the Christmas story, a lot of us have preconceived notions about her. To some, she's just kind of the classic plastic blue light-up figurine in front of the Methodist church. To others who may have history with Catholicism, in your mind, you think of the Catholic shrine where she is deemed queen of the universe. And you don't really know what to think about that as a Protestant evangelical Christian. Protestant evangelical Christian, that, that's us. We struggle to find any kind of middle ground between Mary's irrelevant to she's queen of the universe, particularly Baptist, and that's us too. Baptist is our middle name, it's just not in the sign. But that's us. We vehemently reject the Catholic teaching of the Immaculate Conception. And by the way, that's not teaching about the virgin birth of Christ. That's actually teaching about Mary's birth. The Catholic teaching that she was born without original sin. So she's free of sin, and she, because she has no sin, is fit to carry the Son of God. We reject the teaching that she is the mother of the church who now intercedes between Jesus and sinners. Sinners who plead to her for forgiveness of their sins as they pray the rosary. She is to intercede between us and Jesus. After all, how could Jesus reject any request of his mother? We reject that teaching. There is only one sinless mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus. And as we think about those things, and some of us have even more intimate connections to those things, given our religious background, such anti-gospel at times causes us to even be irritated with Mary herself. And the reality is, Mary didn't know that all of these things would be taught about her. And if she did, she would despise those things. Because the story of Christmas is the story of a virgin who gives birth to her very own Savior because she is a sinner too. And her son becomes her mediator for her sin between God and her. It all depends on who's telling the story, right? That's why we must go to God's Word and allow Him to tell us the story 
of Mary, which we see in verse 26 begins here in the gospel of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, the sixth month here is referring to Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, the one who would be the prophet who would prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of Jesus. And here God sends Gabriel, this chief angel from heaven, to this lowly city of Galilee. Galilee was insignificant. Less than 100 people lived there. You know, think Waco, paint lick. This angel arrives on the scene in Nazareth. And Jesus himself, as, as we read in the Gospels, the, the question is, can anything good come of Nazareth? As we find out Jesus is a Nazarene, really? Can anything good come from that place? But notice the angel is sent to a virgin. She is pure of the intimacy that leads to the conception of a child. I'll let you parents fill in the details later on or tomorrow morning. But she's betrothed. This was a covenant promise before God and family to marry, notice, this man named Joseph. She had made a covenant promise to be married to him. He had made a covenant promise to be married to her. And to break off this covenant, it wasn't an engagement, it was a covenant, to break it off was equivalent with divorce. It would have led to public scorn. But Joseph was an unknown carpenter. He didn't have a big business that everybody knew of, Jerusalem Homes. He's an ordinary carpenter. Up until this point in human history, no one would have known of him. And Mary was a peasant girl, probably 15 years old at this time. And by the way, Mary was a common name. And as we read through the Gospel of Luke, there's all kinds of details about everyone else that's mentioned throughout Luke. Luke is intent on giving us details, historical details, about all of the characters, about all of the figures, except for Mary. All he says about her here is that She's a virgin. Because for him, that's what matters in this moment. What is significant about Joseph and Mary, notice verse 27, is that they are of the house of David. This was the promised line, the family, the dynasty through which God's promised king would come. And here everything lines up for the Messiah to come. And notice this angel approaches Mary in verse 28 and said to her, Greetings, O favored one. O favored one. This means blessed one. It actually means graced one. It means you have received something that you don't deserve from God in this moment. You are receiving something you do not deserve. A message from God, from heaven in this moment. And notice Mary's response. She was greatly troubled. She was scared. She was confused. Notice it says she tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. It's not as though every night an angel woke her up and did devotions with her. 
She has no idea what's going on. She is disoriented. Who is talking? What is going on? And she is troubled and she is scared. Notice verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Because it makes sense that she would be afraid. Not just from his presence, which would have been terrifying. But in light of the word that she is about to receive. Because the word she is about to receive is terrifying. And he says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She is troubled. She is scared. She is disoriented. She is shaken. And yet the angel, the word from God through the angel is don't be scared because you have found favor. You have found grace with God. God. This is all all about his mercy and blessing in your life. What he is calling you to is good. But notice you found favor with God. Catholic theology teaches that Mary is full of grace for us. Here we see Mary needs grace. And the grace she receives here is found in this calling of God upon her life. It is something she doesn't deserve. It's not something she worked for. It's not something she would even want it in this moment. She is receiving grace in God's call on her life. And notice verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus. You will become pregnant. You will carry a child. And it's not just give birth. You will conceive. And the conception of this child is very important how this takes place. But notice he will be a son. He will be like you. He will have human nature. But specifically, you shall call his name, notice, Jesus. Savior. Rescuer. This is a title given to Jesus, the one who saves. Matthew 1.21, he will save his people from their sins. This is why he has come, to save his people. This is the Messiah that will be born to you. And he continues to describe the Messiah here in verse 32. He will be great. He will be larger than life. And will be called the Son of the Most High. Now this is a title given to God's King. He will be larger than life. And he will be given the highest rule ever. For now through eternity. The highest rule. God's King. The throne of heaven. That is who he will be. This is not just Mary. Your son is going to be kind of special. He's going to be kind of significant. He's going to do great things. No, he is going to be the cosmic king of the universe. Notice God will give to him the throne of his father, David. We read in the Old Testament that God promised David that his throne would know no end. He would have an eternal throne. We look at the rule of David and we see prosperity and we see peace and we see the enemies of God being defeated. And God steps in and says, David, this kind of rule is going to last forever. But then David dies. And then he has a son named Solomon and he dies. And then there's another king that dies and another king that dies and another king that dies. 
But this king, your son, Mary, he will be given that eternal rule. And though he die, he will be raised from the dead to rule forever. That's who we're talking about here. The Messiah. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will know no end. This goes all the way back to the promise of Abraham. God's chosen people, the Jews, this is their king who will deliver them from their sins and rule and reign forever over sin and death. The point, Mary, is you will give birth to the Messiah. Notice Mary's response. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? That's a really good question, right? She didn't all of a sudden start singing. It's it's looking a lot like Christmas. She said, what in the world? That can't happen. The natural necessities for this to take place have not happened in her life. It's impossible. Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit, this is the third person of the Trinity, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The imagery here goes all the way back to Genesis 1, when at creation, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters of the deep preparing to create something that did not exist before. And here the Holy Spirit will do something that has never been done before or has been done since. Notice he will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born shall be called holy, the son of God. The word holy means to be set apart. And this is how the son of God, the king of God, God's king will be born is that your womb will be overshadowed. And we talked about this last year as we had our uh, sermon series on the incarnation. Literally, the womb of Mary is set apart and made holy. You have to listen to this part. I'm going to be very precise with the words that I use. At the incarnation, the womb of Mary is set apart and made holy. And as the eternal Son of God takes on embryo to become everything it means to be human, because the womb is set apart, his sinless divinity is still present, preserved, and protected from Adam's sin nature, from Mary's sin nature, and obviously from Joseph's sin nature. Jesus was born of woman. He was 100% man, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was 100% God meaning he was sinless. And the Holy Spirit does this work in the womb of Mary. Mary's thinking, how in the world am I going to prove this, testify of this, justify this in my own mind, in my own heart, in my own life? Verse 36, God will give you a sign. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, past childbearing years, has also conceived a son. This has already happened six months ago, Mary. I knew you would be scared. I knew you would doubt. I knew you would wonder what's going on. Well, guess what? Elizabeth, yeah, Elizabeth, your older relative, she is pregnant with a son herself. 
And not only was she older, she was also barren. And notice verse 37, for nothing will it be impossible with God. We see here the birth of John the Baptist prepares the way for the birth of Jesus. And this is what exactly what John the Baptist does with his ministry. He, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. God's King is here. Look, he's here. And even in the womb, he is declaring God's king is here. And here he's declaring this reality to Mary in this most impossible of circumstances. Something miraculous, something supernatural, something impossible is happening. And this will be a word, a sign to Mary to trust God, which is what she does in verse 38. Notice Mary said, behold, listen it means to stop and listen. She grabs our attention here. And hearing this scandalous, crazy, weird word from God, realizing in the moment, I'm not dreaming. This is real. <laughs> this is really happening. This is my reality. And I have a choice to make. Will I trust God's word? Will I embrace what he is calling me to? What will I do? And she stops and gathers her thoughts. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. The word means slave. I am God's slave. He is the master. Whatever he's calling me to, he calls the shots. He makes the rules. Only one time in human history has someone been called to this. And Mary says, yeah, I will trust you. I will follow you. I will care for the Messiah as my son. And notice the way she puts it. And this is becoming one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. Let it be to me according to your word. What if we woke up every day and just prayed that? God, let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you're calling me to do, I will obey. Yes, I surrender. And the angel departed from her. Mary surrenders to the word of God, no matter what it would cost her. Imagine the next morning at the breakfast table. Mom and dad, I have something to tell you. Imagine meeting Joseph and telling him. Imagine the gossip at the Bethlehem beauty shop. Imagine dropping him off for Torah school. Do you know what she says about him? Supernatural, yeah, right. Messiah, yeah, right. And not only the scorn, as Jesus grows from a baby to a boy to a man to a rabbi to a teacher, you know what Mary has to do? Take up her cross and follow him. Her son becomes her Lord, and she becomes his disciple. And she follows him all the way to the cross. And we see at times, she, she doesn't even understand what's going on. 
And yet she follows him all the way to the cross to have his blood splattered beneath her feet as he dies for her sin. I am your slave. Let it be to me according to your word. She embraces the scandal. She embraces the scorn. She embraces what it means to trust and follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And what we see with Mary here is the word of God doesn't just invade her womb. The word of God invades her heart. And she has to count the cost. Count the cost. In real life, flesh and blood, what will it mean to embrace this as God's reality for me? She has to believe and trust and obey the word of God. She has to allow God to tell her story. And by faith, follow him. And the same thing is true for you today, right? That is the decision before every one of you at Christmas, for for me at Christmas. That is the decision before us. Will we surrender and allow the word of God to invade our hearts so that we would count the cost, trust and obey God and his word? It's the same for us today, except we don't get an angel. The messenger today is much less dramatic. Some of you don't think so, but but you hear this story that is, let's just be honest, this is way more sci-fi than Hallmark. If you're flipping through the channels, you, you don't get, oh, nice, sweet Hallmark Christmas spirit. It should invoke, oh, that's weird. That's crazy. That's insane. That's like a first century Marvel comic. The savior of the universe is born in a barn. That's weird. It's crazy. But it's delivered to us today on the pages of Scripture. And you have a choice. Is this God's word? Is this God's story? Is it true? Will I count the cost in believing and and giving my life over to it? Will I obey his word on my life and surrender? Will I say with Mary, let it be to me according to your word, God? Because if this is true, it demands more of us than the folklore that we have on our shelves. It demands more than, uh, to us than the sentimentality and the songs that we sing this time of year that kind of just gives us a good feeling. It demands more of us than the sappiness in the movies. And you should enjoy all of those things. But when you come to this story, it demands something of you. You can't put it in the attic when it's over. You have a choice to make. Will I obey God? Will I follow his word that is now taken on flesh in the womb of Mary born to die to save me from my sins, will I follow him? It demands your life. 
Christmas demands your life. Not just getting excited about it once every year. And then the next year and the next year and the next year. And then you say, it doesn't really feel like Christmas this year. Maybe your focus is in the wrong place. And maybe it should feel more like Christmas every day of the year. Because you realize the word has taken on flesh. And every day you wake up and say, let it be to me according to the word. Let it be according to me, to your word. Jesus is the only one who can save me from my sins. 100% man, 100% God. He lives a sinless, perfect life, dies on the cross. Would you surrender to that word today? As the only reality that can save you from your sins? Would you say that today? That this is the only way I can be saved. It's through Jesus. That is the choice some of you are making in the room right now. Will I say that is the only one who has died for my sins and I will follow him no matter what? Would you say today, whatever you would call me to do according to your word, God, I'm going to take up my cross like Mary and I'm going to follow you. Jesus is your Lord. Would you follow him as Lord? That is the choice today. If he is who the word of God says he is, you have to make a choice. It demands that you make a choice. You can't walk away from it. Let it be according to your word. Jesus is my Lord and King. Some of you need to turn from sin today. Because the word of God calls you to do that and you know that. Some of you need to embrace courage and lead and witness for the sake of the gospel because that's what the word of God is calling you to do and you know it. Some of you need to embrace suffering with joy because God's word for you and his story for you right now involves a lot of difficulty. And you need to say today, let it be to me according to your word. This is what you have for me and I will trust you. Some of you need to love your enemies because that is what the word of God is calling you to do. The same word that is born in the manger is the word that stands before you in the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, and calls you to obey, to trust and obey. You see, the real question is, what will God think about you when you meet him? What sort of ideas will he have about you? What sort of reality will he know about you? It all depends on who's telling the story, right? Are you going to tell the story? Or are you going to say, let it be according to your word? Believing in Christ, having your sins forgiven, so that God would say, yes, forgiven. Trusting in him so that you are completely righteous in Christ, so that God would say, yes, righteous, set apart, a life set apart in the Son. It all depends on who's telling the story, Jesus or you.